Welcome to Ixnay, the podcast where we take a deep dive into the shallow end of the electorate as a means to gaming the 2020 election to our advantage. Turn on, tune in, vote out. Hey, all right now, another week of stupid Twitter fights and low energy executive action from a man whose less than steady hand is in control of a nuclear arsenal that could obliterate planet Earth. Enjoy your lunch, America. I'm your host, Trace Crutchfield, and on this episode of Ixnay, we have an interview with Anthony Scaramucci, who pulls no punches on the president, me, or utilitarian philosophy. But first, with 5 million coronavirus cases, because the president is lazy, a U.S. Postal Service being wantonly dismantled because the president is vain, and an economic system certain to leave everyday Americans high and dry because the president doesn't care about anybody but campaign donors, it's time to realize we are on our own. Previously on Ixnay. You know, I've been a, what I like to call a sensible or sane conservative for, uh, you know, my entire career, uh, both military and when I worked in Congress. But at some point, enough just gets to be enough. And Donald Trump has become an, a legitimately existential threat to the United States, our security. That was Greg Keeley of the Council on American Security on how sensible military, intelligence, and national security people from across the political spectrum have been driven by Donald Trump onto, yeah, you guessed it, the Biden or bust bandwagon. You cannot make this shit up. The election is coming, and America needs all hands on deck, so it's time to activate your citizenship. Unelecting Donald Trump is job one, but every local race is important for you and your particular scene. Consider each candidate's qualifications and vote in support of your own economic interests, not some faceless corporation or corrupt real estate mogul. It's not that complicated. You've got to help yourself because the cavalry, it's been privatized. Enough of the hogwash. Let's get to it. I'd like everybody to welcome today's guest, Anthony Scaramucci. Uh, I think most people are pretty familiar with who you are. You're the founder of Skybridge Capital. You worked on Wall Street. You worked at the Trump administration for a hot second. And now people want to hear what you have to say about the economy and things in general. So thanks a lot for the time. I really appreciate it. Hey, Trace, it's an honor to be on. Thanks for including me. Unfortunately, you promised me hair and makeup. Okay, so I'm going to just let you know I'm (laughs) complaining to my agent right now because I'm in my Scooby-Doo shirt and... It's not the best looking hairstyle right now. And I'm going to be where, complaining to my agent when this is over, Trace. I just want you to know. Where, where are you right now? So I'm in my house in Southampton. Uh, oh, okay. And I've been living out here for the last three months. You know, I, I have another house uh, in Nassau County, uh, closer to my parents. So I, I try to go back gonna, there a couple times a week. The only reason I asked, I was going to make some sort of excuse that our makeup person couldn't get there because Cuomo's didn't, can't cross <laughs> the bounty lines or something like that. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so to wade right in and simply put, this is a question we ask people all the time. Could America be in better hands? Yeah, well, of course it could be in better hands. I mean, we, we, the problem is our, we set up a system where we've got great polarity now in the system, cable news, the segmentation of the media, uh, and we've converted America into warring tribes. And so we have a great culture war going on right now. And you need transformational leadership. The example I gave to my older children 
is a thermometer versus a thermostat. And so what is a thermometer? I can go outside and take the temperature. Our leaders are thermometers. Okay, the temperature's hot right now. Let me express hatred and anger and hotness. Right. But what you actually right. need is a thermostat, which is on the wall behind me. You, you press the coordinates in. If it's 80 degrees in the room, you want to get it to 72, you got to move it. And so great leadership requires people to explain to the American people what they need to do in order to be more successful, to be more together. Uh, and, and remember, the politics is a replacement for warfare and homicide. You do know that, Trace, right? I mean, so at the end of the day, we were hitting each other yeah. in the head with rocks 50,000 years ago. And then we said, OK, let's not do that. Let's get into politics. So. I have no problem when they shooting at me. I, I actually think it's fun. You know, you know, if Trump's going off on me, I, I find it entertaining that he's like that big of an imbecile that he's got to come after a guy like me instead of running the country, you know. But that's just an example. Uh, I'm on TV last night talking about the guy, and I said the guy's unhinged, and he's focused on the wrong things. And then an hour later, he proves it by coming after me. You know, totally. the guy's, guy's nuts. He'll take the bait every time. He's just unwell. I mean, at the end of the day, the guy's not, he's unwell. He, he had a interesting brand. The apprentice gave him this position of success and perception of power. And he's likable. I'm, 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 not, a, I'm not a Trump demonizer, okay? I right. had a lot of fun hanging yeah. out with him on the campaign. He's got a good sense of humor. He's just in the wrong job. He's not suited to fit yeah. in, in, into that. You know, it's just not. You know, that's the problem. Yeah, I can dig it. Most Trump supporters that we talk to who remain Trump supporters, it's some combination of their 401k or the economy. This is a lot of it pre-pandemic stuff, you know. But is my question for you is, as someone who's knowledgeable about this, is the economy actually good? And should, what would she make of Trump always equating the stock market with the economy? Yeah. Well, I mean, the economy was good. I mean, he inherited a decently shaped economy uh, from uh, President Obama. We could quibble about President Obama's regulation strategy for the economy. He probably slowed down the growth. He made it unnecessarily slow uh, because I think uh, inherently uh, the president, uh, based on his life, remember, we're all products of our environment and our life experiences. Right. So I think the president had a distrust for American business leaders. And so he was pushing a lots of regulation. Um, and so I think that hurt the economy a little, but the monetary policies and the economic policies to cure the country I think we're usually valuable. Um, and uh, President Trump inherited that. So now he's got it. And, 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 you know, he's a little bit like Mayor de Blasio, right? These guys are incompetent, you know, Trump and de Blasio. And so if they don't have a crisis, you know, you're inheriting a great city from Mike Bloomberg. You don't have a crisis. It's going to be okay. Uh, you're inheriting a great economy from Barack Obama. If you don't have a crisis, it's going to be okay. But then if you have a crisis, it's going to be a disaster because they don't know how to manage anything. You know, there was a... Uh, I can't, I can't tell you who it is. It wouldn't be fair to the person, but there was a cabinet person, senior person, very close personal friend of mine, left the cabinet, uh, came to see me last October. And he said, Ant, this is going to be really bad because he can't manage anything. He doesn't have the skill set or the ability to manage people or to direct people. And so every morning, it's like a billiard game. The cue ball hits the billiards. They fly everywhere. And if we get into a crisis or there's a problem, the executive branch is not going to be ready for the crisis. And so when the Soleimani strike happened in January, Trace, I said, oh, my God, this is the crisis. And thank God that didn't – I mean, that seems like a 1,000 years ago now. It was in <laughs> January. Yeah. But, but, I mean, thank God that wasn't the crisis, but it turned out the crisis crisis was COVID-19. 
And as I pointed out yesterday, he's lying. He's lying about the science. So his skill set, he's the modern day LBJ. His skill set is not suited for this moment. He's doubling and tripling down on nonsense when you actually need to figure out a way to heal a very divided nation. And so if we don't speak out about it, we're going to have a bigger problem. We have to speak out about it. We have to figure out if we can bring the two sides together and remind people about the history of this country, the greatness, the innovation, the technical innovation, the personal freedoms, all of the great resources that we have in the country. Uh, We have to rebuild our education system. We have to rebuild our infrastructure. We can do all of these things, but we got to stop the nonsense. Yeah. Well, this, one of the reasons I appreciate listening to you is because when you start talking about things like this, I don't think of you as coming from a Republican or Democratic perspective. I think of you as kind of a free market capitalist, right? I've always been that where, way. I think that's where I'm, most I'm a, Americans I'm a, I'm a, are. I'm a free market capitalist, but I do believe in an energetic government. I believe in a small, efficient, energetic government. And what I would say to you is that we have to do our best from the government to provide a platform of equal opportunity. Okay, you didn't pick your birth. I didn't pick my birth. My dad was a very hard worker. He was uneducated, but he worked to the bone to provide us with a middle-class upbringing. Um, I wasn't born to the manor. I wasn't, you know, but I wasn't born poor. But imagine if I was born in an area of the country where there was a high murder rate or where there were single parents raising the kids. And I'm not saying there's anything bad about single parents raising kids. I'm not suggesting that. Uh, What I am suggesting is we don't pick our birthplace. But if you got a super smart kid and he's living in the inner city, we have to figure out a way to get that kid the platform of opportunity. I'm not about equal totally. outcomes. I'm about equal opportunity. So, so to me, totally. there are uses for a energetic government, public safety, mm-hmm. social good, make sure the roads are paved, no potholes, protect the country from a foreign threat, You know, make sure the system is fair. The regulation should be a good referee. We should make yeah. sure the re- regulations are to help the environment. And then we have to make sure that we have an educational platform for our people. And if we do those things in 10 or 15 years, you have this amazing trajectory for the United States. But right now, all we're doing is going like this to each other. We're beating each other up on cable news and and we're, we're watching a two year election cycle and everybody's jockeyed up just to stay in power. Stop. Yeah. This isn't about left or right. This is about right or wrong. It's not about left or right. They They actually, I think we see that most people actually hate the other party more than they like their own party. Yeah, no question. And to your point, I mean, the, the interesting insight. I totally agree with that. I'm going to steal that from you, Trace. Okay, that's a very interesting insight. It's all yours. It's all yours. And I think what's interesting, what you just said, in the Constitution, it says all men are created equal. It doesn't say they should end up being equal, right? But we got to give everybody the same starting place. Well, that, that's my point. And, and think about that inalienable right that is coming from uh, uh, J.S. Mill, John Locke, Thomas yeah, Jefferson. Go. It's an inalienable right that we're, we're equal in the eyes of God, and we should therefore be equal in the law, but we're yeah. not equal in terms of our skill sets. And, you know, and I tell people at Skybridge, you know, I'm going to pay you not equally, but I'm going to pay you fairly. If I've got one guy working 160 yeah. hours a week and he's producing yeah. gigantic stuff and there's another person yeah. working one hour a week, you can't pay them equally. You have to pay them fairly. So there's a fairness standard that goes coincident to the equality under the law, if that makes sense. 
Okay, well, here's one of the things that we also hear from people sometimes, is, and I'll ask it as a question. Could Joe Biden, even if he wanted to, wreck the stock market? No, I mean, that's a, that's a misnomer. He, he could not wreck the stock market any more than Barack Obama could wreck the stock market. So what ended up happening was you've got very good policy leadership in the United States. Dr. Bernanke was great. Uh, Jerome Powell has turned out to be a very credible, very capable Federal Reserve chairman. The Fed understands what's going on, and they're trying to provide liquidity for the moment to calm things down. If Joe Biden wins, and I predict that he will, he'll inherit a wrecked economy, but he will also inherit some pretty good policies. He'll leave the Fed unchanged. He'll work with people uh, to yeah, exactly. rebuild and regrow the economy. He's not a, He's not going to try to destroy the economy. This this nonsense that he's a puppet of the radical left and all of this nonsense, just nonsense. There's nothing in the guy's track record that demonstrates that, okay? Is he, uh, is is... he the perfect candidate, Trace? Who is? There's no, no perfect candidate. Yeah. But what we know about President Trump is that he's incompetent. He cannot manage. Yeah. He's thin-skinned. He's ridiculously insecure. And he's a guy that is actually hurting our international stand. He's hurting us in every which way. He's hurting the economy. He's hurting the health and safety of your children. He's destroying the post-World War II architecture of our alliances that have in general made the country and the world safe and prosperous. Uh, there's not a lot going on there that you can point to and say, okay, yeah, the guy's doing a good job. Now, he's got his acolytes at Fox News, and he's got a lot of haters that come in, you know, they didn't like what I said last night. Trump tweeted at me. I've got you know seven yeah, death yeah. threats this morning and crazy, crazy. all types of garbage in my email traffic and people are writing directly to my company. Okay, no problem. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's Trump's America. It's just kind of unimaginable that there's any really, I mean, I think those supporters have figured out a way to monetize him and his actions, but he's not really doing anything to help much of anybody. And back to the kind of the stock market question, it's like, I've never really considered the Wall Street engine so delicate that Joe Biden, a total run-of-the-mill capitalist. Joe Biden is as middle of the run-of-the-mill, you know, yeah. economic guys you can find that they're shaking in their boots about him. Yeah, no, but the idea that he's, he's a good person. The vice president is a good person. I mean, if you, I know, if you but, meet but, and interact with the vice president, he came to my I conference. Totally like I, I worked with him. You know, I'm a conservative, but I'm a libertarian. So, like, I don't care who right. marries who, Trace. Yeah. You know, I worked on the gay rights initiative here in New York. I worked on the national gay rights initiative. I have gay family members. I'm totally cool with what you do in your bedroom. I tell my conservative friends, you want a smaller government everywhere on planet Earth except my bedroom. You want a larger government. What are you guys doing? Let people live and let live. Yeah, exactly. It's not that complicated. But, But Joe and I, excuse me, Vice President Biden and I worked on the international gay marriage movement in 2016 together when he was vice president. He then came to my conference in 2017. And my used to be normal Republican friends like Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell, they love the guy. Now they have subverted and converted their personalities into the Trump demagogic cult, uh, uh, which I don't understand. I don't understand how that's helping them or the country to be that sycophantic. Well, it's funny, but they, they sometimes call, now they begin calling like Joe Biden, like that he's a communist, like he's a puppet of the communists. I guess just the nickname. Radical left. The ra- they, they, they like the word radical left. They think that that scares like white people, I think, older white people. I mean, they're the, selling, what, what's happening is in between the sales of the catheters on the cable shows, <laughs> they're getting scared about the radical left. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, okay, yeah. hey guys, relax about the radical left. Okay, you're going to live your life. The, the radical left's going to live its life, and let's get yeah. the country back together. Okay, let's find yeah. where we have more in common with each other than what's separating us. It's nonsense. They had to step up their words because I guess Sleepy Joe just wasn't putting fear in the hearts of women and children across oh, America. I mean, he's done a good job, though, Trace, not taking the bait. Yeah, you for know, sure. He, I, you know, he he's done a good job. See, the problem is, is that like when the president's coming after me. I'm a New Yorker. What do you think I'm going to do? Am I going to fight back? Of course I'm going to fight back. I mean, come on. Yeah. I tried to support you. I tried to help you. I gave you money for your campaign, money for your transition, raised yeah. money for your inaugural. Uh, I, I got fired after 11 days. If you if you watch that documentary that your friend Andrew Moscato yeah. put out, mm-hmm. I got fired. I made a mistake. Yeah. I never blamed yeah. anybody for my firing other than myself. And then yeah. I went out and tried to be loyal to the president, but he's nuts. I and think so you, as a good, smart person, you have to change your mind. When someone's nuts and you're running the most powerful country in the world, you can say, oh, excuse me, this guy's nuts. We got to get rid of this guy. I, I think if you I mean, looked in the dictionary. It doesn't matter if you're conservative uh, or Republican. You, know, you got to right. get rid of this guy. This guy's yeah. nuts. Now's the time of the show where we talk about sponsors. Almost every podcast has a moment where they ask supporters for donations, sometimes via a subscription service like Patreon. But you know, we're not just a podcast, we're a super pack. So, well, maybe just play it. That's a little something we like to call backmasking for dollars. Now you'll never be able to tell, but it's a fundraising message in reverse designed to subliminally encourage whoever hears it to send money to Ixnay. Can you hear it one more time? Now I know what you're thinking. Subconscious messages? What the hell? I saw HBO's Watchmen. But we're only using rock and roll style backmasking as a way to raise money. We're not Satanists after all. The beauty of this scheme is that we can play the message from time to time and you won't even be bothered to notice that we're begging, well, maybe more like persuading you to give us money. I think you'll agree that as a fundraising strategy, that's pretty cool. Less intrusive and even less demanding of your conscious yet receptive mind. So just relax and let us ixnay your troubles away while you donate early and often, even if you don't know why. Yeah, if you look in the dictionary off cut up, cutting off your nose despite your face, I think it would just be Donald Trump. He just seems to be self-inflicting wounds on himself all the time. If he just get out of the way and say, let the doctors do this about, you know, Fauci and Dr. Burks do their thing, he could look like a hero or at least he wouldn't be taking the blame, right? He could be right. like, they're running it. I'm getting yeah. out of the way. What do you think about not, this not, argument? Not capable of doing that. Not yeah. capable. I agree think about this argument that the, the only surefire way to restore sort of budgetary discipline for these free-spending Republicans is to elect a Democrat president. In order to save the budget, we need a Democrat in the White House. I think that makes sense because all of a sudden the, the Republicans will reject the spending yes. initiatives of the <laughs> Democrat, you know? So that, that's the great hypocrisy. Okay, these guys are not conservative. These guys are not, they're, they're spending money hand over fist. By know, the way- Okay, we have learned something about the deficit, okay, that we didn't fully understand Mm -hmm. 30 years ago, uh, because we're in a totally different economy today, okay? We learned something about the Phillips curve, which is the relationship between inflation and unemployment. Jerome Powell was raising rates in 2018. You remember this in the fourth quarter. And he was actually making a mistake because he was missizing the full employment and the slight wage growth. He thought that was going to create inflation. It didn't. And there's a reason why we have become so technologically efficient 
in the economy that even if wages are going up, the goods and services are going down. You know, like this uh, AirPod is cheaper. This uh, laptop is cheaper. It's more powerful. This phone has got more computational power than what launched these guys to the moon in 1969. And so all of this stuff is improving and it's putting a cap on prices. So this is the reason why the deficit has been so manageable because if you're borrowing a trillion dollars at 70 basis points, it's $70 billion of carry. And on a $20 trillion economy, you can, you can actually afford to do it, Trace. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, and, and so we didn't understand all of this years ago, but that doesn't mean we should be reckless with the deficit. The deficit, of course, matters. We should be spending it on things that give us a positive return. Like, like I, I, let me give you a very quick example. Uh, when I left Boston in 1989 after graduating from Harvard Law School, they were, they were doing the big dig. Right. They said it was going to cost $4 billion. Well, and it was going to last five years. Well, it cost $20 billion and it lasted 17 years. It was rife with corruption. But the big dig, when they did the analysis of the $20 billion, it created $190 billion of positive externalities for the city of Boston new suburbs, uh, broader reach, a better technological rim, bigger venture capital investing, better for the colleges. It, it had this transformational impact. Okay. And so my point is, that's where we got to start spending our money. Yeah. You know, we, we you know, yeah. I, I, enough with the war in Afghanistan and all this other stuff, we got to spend our money here to help our own citizens. Yeah, truly. And one of the Trump had the some very good instincts, and he said some very good things in 2016. He just couldn't execute right. on any of them. Yeah, well, he had that first two years where he could have done whatever he wanted, and he he fooled around with things like the Muslim ban instead of really starting some infrastructure bill. I mean, he he kind of has himself to blame a little bit for some of this. No, um, no question. When I think a little bit about at the at the smallest level at the economy that most people think the economy is good if they have some money in their bank account or they think they could get some money in their bank account. So my question is, if people were to actually vote in their own economic interest, how many people would be voting for Donald Trump to be president again? I mean, how many Americans as a percentage say or have an interest in Donald Trump's politics economically? Well, I mean, I think that I think the very wealthy he's benefited from the the tax cuts. If you look at the seismic change in wealth over the last three years as a result of those tax cuts, some of the large multinational right. corporations they have benefited from this. Yeah. Um, but what you really need to do is y you and I do not want to live in a McMansion in a bob wired fenced in security compound. I don't want that. I, I, I don't want to do that while my fellow neighbors are struggling. What I want right. is a fair system. You know, uh, Teddy Roosevelt was a Republican. The idea of progressivism came from Teddy Roosevelt. He looked at the situation and said, okay, this is really bad. He got all the robber barons in the room, which was the, now the Roosevelt room. They say, hey, guys, we gotta, we got to cut this out. you got to pay yeah. these workers more money. Yeah. Okay, Henry Ford said, okay, no problem. I'm going to pay my workers enough money to afford the thing that they're actually producing. And by the way, I'm gonna help them buy their house. We're gonna lend them money to buy their house and we're gonna put them in a very good school system. And, 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 and this way they're not gonna come after me with a tiki torch and a pitchfork. Okay, <laughs> and it was a very smart idea. And we've, yeah. we've, we've become so selfish and we've become so self-absorbed about our own success that we're missing the common wheel 
of our connectivity together. So everybody calm down. We've got to help these people. You help these people, you're going to have a cleaner society. It's going to have less graffiti in it. You're going to have people that are happy. They're going to have to be we, – we have turned the working middle class in our society from aspirational Americans like my dad who said, hey, man, work hard. You're going to go to college. You're going to live the American dream to desperational. 35 years right. ago, 40 years ago, people like my dad were like, hey, my son's going to get rich. He's going to live the American dream. That very same job has 26% less real income in terms of purchasing power. And that family is economically desperate, Trace. We have to fix that. We can fix that. That yeah. is totally fixable. Now, you want to hear the bad news? You can't fix it overnight. You can't fix it in an election cycle. But right. could you fix it over 10 or 20 years? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But where is our 20-year plan? The Chinese have a 20-year plan. They have a 50-year yeah. plan. They have yeah. a 100-year plan. Why don't we have a 50-year plan? We're smart people. We're carefree. No, no. We're what we're going to do is we're going to fight it out on Twitter yeah. and we're going to come up with nicknames for each other. I mean, come on. Cut it well, out. I can, hear, I can hear again your inner utilitarian talking about these things, like the greatest possible oh, good. Why shouldn't we aspire to that? To try of and make course. everybody easy. It's interesting you say that because I studied utilitarianism in college. I, I am by for the most part, a libertarian more than I am anything else. I, I, but, but I do recognize in a modern society where we have modern threats, we have to have a strong government for things like national defense and creating a platform of equal opportunity. We need a safety net. Can't have a society like ours without a safety net because if you're willing to accept the balance beam and the uncertainty of outcomes, certain people are going to fall off that balance beam. And we need, to, we need to let them land in a spot. You know, somebody said something I really didn't like yesterday on TV. They said, well, you know, we, we want to give people uh, a working chance, not a hammock that they can lay in. I mean, these are poor people. Are you nuts? These are poor people. They're giving billion, trillion dollar tax breaks to the corporations. We're talking about two to $400. Are you people crazy? I mean, I mean, I mean. So it's, it's so disconnected from right. like the reality of like the neighborhood I grew up in. It's like bizarre that we're actually doing that, you know? Yeah, I know you're talking. I have one last quick question. One last quick question, because this is based on watching TV yesterday, too, when I saw Larry Kudlow on TV. You had to hire an economic uh, advisor, to, an economic advisor to work for you. Would you hire Larry Kudlow or Peter Navarro? No, I mean, I wouldn't hire either of those guys. I like Peter. I mean, I know Peter. I like him. But, and he's a very strong defender of the president, but I think he's just misguided intellectually. He's, uh, he's, he's a blockhead intellectually. Larry Kudlow I would not hire. Uh, I don't dislike Larry Kudlow. Steve Mnuchin is a very good guy. He's very safe, fair hands, very stable, very, very good guy. He's built an amazing infrastructure at Treasury. I'm just being very objective and very candid. Cool. You never have any problems yeah. at Treasury if you ever notice that. Um, but no, I wouldn't hire those guys. No, they're not, they're not the right guys for that job, okay? Because they're, they, they want to be sycophants. You know, you, right. you don't want sycophants in a job like that. You want truth tellers and you want the guy running the thing to have a strong enough personality where they can accept the truth. Yes. That makes okay. sense? Well, yeah, it, it totally makes sense. I mean, I, I don't think they're dummies in a way, but sometimes when they get on TV and they talk, you think, who is buying this bullshit out of these guys? Anyway, thank you very much for your time. It's great no, to be on. I hope you'll invite me back. I will. If you've got no plans on November 3rd, we're going to have a big election party, if we can, in, okay, in the great. city. 
and it will be fun. Let, let me know. I'll be. I'm sure I'm going to be around on election day. Trust me. I'll I, be in. I'll be somewhere in the city on election day. Okay. Cheers. Thank you very much All for right, your time. God bless. Goodbye, Mooch. For a limited time, we're inviting Americans of strong moral fiber to participate in our Slap Them Up sticker campaign. For five bucks, we'll send you a pack of Ixnay's classic anti-Trump stickers guaranteed to help you win friends and influence people. You see, around the country, people are stressed out by the current political climate, and we found that peeling the back from these stickers is a kind of self-care. And when followed by boldly or even clandestinely applying them in fun places, a lift of spirit is guaranteed. And that's what I think we all need, a recharge of spirit. America was founded by rabble-rousers protesting reactionary pressure. Think of applying these stickers as a tribute to that revolutionary fervor. So go to ixnapack.org to order your stickers and slap them up, America. It's fun. It's provocative. It's pig Latin. So as we say goodbye, please track and push our social media, but also take advantage of opportunities to be more than a touchscreen warrior. Buy an Ixnay poster and learn how to weave paste it onto walls. Slap Ixnay stickers on windows and cars all over your town or call me and leave a scene report. As I said earlier, it's time to activate your citizenship because if not now, when? And as always, if you're out on your bike tonight, do not forget, the nature of your oppression is the aesthetic of our anger. Ixnay.